You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. Well, good morning, Trace. First, I just want to say I miss you. I really do. I miss seeing your faces. I miss worshiping with you. As much as I love that we can connect this way digitally, uh, man, I really do. I just... I wait for the day that we can come in here once again, that we can worship together. When we finally are able to open the doors again, we're gonna come in here and worship God like we never have before in our lives. It's gonna be off the hook. But until then, uh, obviously we wanna continue to do this. And we'll likely be doing it like this for the next couple of months. And so we wanna encourage you to set aside this time uh, each and every week to invite us into your homes. And thank you for doing that. We know that the church is not a building, right? And so right now we're one church meeting in hundreds of locations, we're one church meeting in hundreds of homes. And so to continue to set this time aside and let this be a moment where you and I can come together and worship and elevate the name of Jesus together. Now, we also know that some of you may be joining us for the first time this morning. And if that's you, uh, can I encourage you to let us know who you are? I mean, we can do church differently right now, right? So you can, you can plug in digitally and you can let us know who you are. All you gotta do is comment in the comment section of the post that you're watching right now. Just hashtag new to trace. This right here, hashtag new to trace. And we'd love to know who you are. We'd love to connect with you. We would love to know uh, any questions that we might be able to answer for you. Well, guys, next week, is Easter. We all get this. And as followers of Jesus, this is a moment for us where we point back to uh, the most important pillar of our faith. The resurrection is like our reference point. Even when there's a lot of things around us that don't make sense, even when everything about the Bible maybe doesn't even make sense, but we know that the resurrection is our reference point. It's what we come back to because we believe that Jesus did walk out of a grave about 2,000 years ago. And when he walked out of that grave, that means he defeated death. And because he defeated death, we now can be given forgiveness through his grace that we can now have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And I wanna encourage you that even though we're gonna be doing this digitally, I wanna encourage you to leverage your influence, to invite as many people as you know into this conversation digitally. And maybe for the first time in people's lives, they would consider hearing the grace of God and accepting it because right now everything about their life feels uncertain. And so you've heard me say this before, do not say no for people. Do not say no for people. Invite them to join us next week as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what I wanna do before we jump into the message. I just wanna pray for us really quick. And I, pr- I wanna pray that you'll be intentional. We're gonna be sending you different resources and digital invites that you can use to invite people to join us next week. Uh, also, for those of you that call Trace Home, uh, next Saturday from nine until 12, you'll get more information about this. We're gonna have little baskets or little bags actually that you can come and pick up that have little communion cups uh, in them like this. Uh, They're going to have a craft for you to do with your kids, um, as well as a gift card to Chick-fil-A where you can go pick up a gallon of sweet tea or or lemonade, whatever your thing uh, that you can use for your Easter lunch. Um, But we want to put that together for you. There's also going to be some coffee in there if you're a coffee drinker. So uh, again, 9 to 12 next week. But let me pray for us right now, and then we're going to jump in to the message. Father, uh, we get it. All of this feels different. Uh, All of this is uh, a time in our lives that we'll likely point back to in the future where it's like, man, it was just weird. There was a lot of things that we were doing that uh, we were just in uncharted waters. We didn't know how to do it. We didn't know exactly what to do. But Father, one of the things that we know without a doubt, God, one of the things that we know that we can continue to build our lives on is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of your son. And so God, next week we're gonna come and we're gonna celebrate that. And I pray that you would show us how we can leverage our influence to invite people into this conversation. And maybe, God, I I really believe this, 
maybe right now people would say yes when other times in their life they would have said no. And so help us to be intentional, to be diligent here, to invite as many people to join us next week as possible. So God, would you guide us? Would you remind us of names that we need to reach out to? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, I think one of the most repeated words uh, that I'm hearing right now is the word adjusting, right? I mean, we're all adjusting. We're adjusting to working at home, learning how to homeschool our kids, being in houses, our houses longer than we want to be. We're learning how to stay connected to people that we love, even though we have to do that digitally right now. For my single friends that are watching today, I know some of you maybe are in a house and you're all by yourself and we want to know how to connect with you. We want to know how to best love and minister to you right now. So let us know if you're single right now and you're watching again, let's do church differently. Let us know right now how we can best minister to you. We're all adjusting. We're all trying to figure out how to do things differently. One of the things you've likely been introduced to is this thing called Zoom, right? This way of doing digital meetings. I've been in more of my fair share of digital meetings this past week. And uh, it reminds me of a timeless video that you've likely seen, but it's still worth showing again. So check this out. Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift, shifting, shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. <laughs> the, um, pardon me. My apologies. <laughs> what is this going to be for the region? My apologies. North, uh, um, North Korea, North, uh, South Korea's policy choices on North Korea have been severely limited in the last six months to a year. Oh, it's been around for a while now, but it's still priceless, especially as that mom's sliding in to the room like she's stealing second base. Guys, I know we get this. Uh, this crisis, it's affecting all of us. And just in case you need it this morning, listen to me, just in case you need it this morning, I wanna give you permission to let us know how it's affecting you. And so right now you can post in the comments. You can do one word, you can do a sentence. How can we pray for you? How is this crisis affecting you? And I'll kick us off by being a little bit transparent myself. For me, it hasn't been fear. It's not been sickness or financial stress. For me, it's something psychologists would call decision fatigue. It's when you're put in a position to make a lot of decisions all at once. A lot of people in military will experience this. People in hospitals, like what we're experiencing right now that are dealing with a crisis, they experience this and high level leadership will experience this. And I've been experiencing this myself, this idea of decision fatigue, where I'm trying to make so many changes and so many decisions all at once that it's probably leading me to make poor decisions than I normally would. For instance, this last week, I almost bought an Android phone. I mean, yeah, like pray for me. I, I got on here and I was looking and I'm like, what am I doing? Why would I ever buy an Android phone? The foolishness that would come with that. And then when I was on this website, it's like, hey, people who like this, like people who like Android phones also like Snuggies. So I guess that's a thing. Like if you're an Android phone user, I guess you like Snuggies as well. <laughs> Let's talk about this on a serious note. All of us are going to be forced to make a lot of decisions during the season. And because we're gonna be forced to make a lot of decisions and potential changes, we are all subjected to the potential of making some poor choices. And potentially, listen to me, because this is leading where I wanna to go today. Potentially, the poorest decision that we can make would be not interpreting this crisis in the right way. 
there's a, there's a possibility that we could interpret this crisis that would directly or indirectly affect how we see our heavenly father. I mean, is he the one that's causing all of this? And so today what I want us to look at is what is our theology of a crisis? This is a question that I want us to, rant, to wrestle with. What is our theology of a crisis? Did, did God cause this? Did God send this to punish us? If we believe in Jesus, if we're followers of Jesus, is God going to keep us safe from the coronavirus? These are all things that I've heard and all things that I've seen kind of rotating around on social media over the last couple of weeks. Uh, even last week, I was reading that there was a pastor in our city who said, hey, if I'm a Christian, if I'm living for God, why would God send the coronavirus to kill me? In other words, this kind of theology says that if we're living the right way as Christians, we will be spared from the coronavirus or any other source of pain or tragedy. Now, the reason why this gets so dangerous is because this is not what we see Jesus say at all. In John chapter 16, Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for his departure. And he's letting them know that they're going to experience some hardship. He's even letting some of them know that they're going to experience death, which many of them did for the sake of the gospel. And as he's preparing them, he gets down to the bottom. We get down to the bottom of John chapter 16, and he concludes this way. He says, I have told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will, can I emphasize that, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus never promised us that he would spare us from all pain and suffering. But what he did promise, listen to me, what he did promise is that through it, through whatever storm or crisis we're going through, we can still have peace in him, that it's still possible to have peace in him. And one day, one day he's going to put an end to all the different coronaviruses and crises. One day, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has been passed away. Church, listen to me. I pray that every one of you, I hope you know this, I pray that every one of you is spared from this virus. But let's just say we do get it. Let's say you get it. Let's say I get it. It's not because God is punishing you. It's not because you don't have enough faith. It's not because you are a lesser than Christian. It's not because you haven't read your Bible enough or prayed enough this last week. The reason any of us would get anything like this, what Jesus refers to as sorrows and trials, the reason why any of us will go through a crisis, the reason why any of us will ever experience disease of any sort is because of thousands of years ago, Adam and Eve decided to defy God, to go against the will of God, and because of that, allowed sin to enter into this world. And when sin entered into this world, so did disease, so did plague, so did cancer and famine and suffering and mosquitoes, can I get an amen? And patriot fans and, uh, no, okay, okay, I digress. Guys, sometimes the reason why we fall, we still fall for this kind of performance theology is because we're, we're mixing and matching covenants. Now, this is a really important part of what I wanna talk to you about today, so please tune in. You see, what we have a tendency to do is go back to the old covenant, which is a covenant that God made with Israel. And he, he related to people, he related to the people of Israel differently than he does now because through Jesus, we're now underneath a new covenant of God's grace. In the old covenant, God would have this way of relating to the Israelites. It's like, hey, if you do this, then I'll do this. A perfect example of this 
is in 2 Chronicles chapter 17. Now, this is a verse that I've seen rotating around the internet a lot in the last couple of weeks, and I want to talk to you about how this could potentially be very dangerous, especially for people that are new to the faith, who don't understand how to interact between the Old and New Covenants. Let me set the context for us. In 2 Chronicles chapter 17, Solomon has just finished the temple, right? And so Solomon being one of the sons of King David, he's finished the temple and God is showing favor over this temple and says, hey, I'm gonna come and reside there. And then God shows up to Solomon that night in a dream and says this, if my people, key word there, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, big word, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. If and then. Now let's pay attention to what's happening here, okay? God says, if you do something, and he's talking to the Israelites, if you do something, so what is it he's saying that they need to do? Hey, if you will be more humble, if you'll pray more, and if you will stop doing stupid things, right? Stop doing things I don't want you to do. If you do those things, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. Did you catch that? That means if we don't do this, then God won't forgive our sins. And the reason why this is incredibly dangerous is because that is the old covenant. That is the old way of God relating to his people. Now, let me be clear about something because it's possible that you'll hear something that I don't wanna say this morning. Although we believe that this verse is not something that is relevant for us today, we believe the Old Testament is completely, the Old Covenant is completely inspired by God. Both of them are equally inspired, Old Covenant, New Covenant, equally inspired, but not equally relevant for our lives. You see, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he has fulfilled all the ifs and all the thens. All the times when God said, hey, if you do this, then I'll do this. Jesus fulfilled all of that. And I, want, I need to tell you something. Maybe this is the first time that you've ever heard this in your entire life. And you need to know this. Listen to me. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you were given more forgiveness in one moment. Listen to me. You were given more forgiveness in one moment of repentance than you will ever have to give in a lifetime. Let me say it again. You have been given more forgiveness in one moment of repentance than you will ever have to give in a lifetime. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he fulfilled all the ifs and all the thens. Now it's not about performing for God. We don't have to feel like, hey, have I done enough? Have I done enough ifs? So then God will forgive me. No, through what Jesus accomplished on the cross, he has fulfilled all the ifs and all the thens. Which is why now, for those of us who follow Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus and because you belong to him, the power of life, of the life-giving spirit that freed you from the power of sin that leads to death, which is the law of Moses, right? The law of Moses, this, what we read in Second Chronicles, this is the law of Moses. Like, that's what we've been freed of. We've been freed up from the ifs and thens. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. In other words, we couldn't fulfill the ifs. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end. Listen to me. He declared an end to the if and then. He declared an end to the if and then. 
to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied, fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Maybe John said it best in the famous passage that all of us learned when we were kids. Our parents taught us this. Our Sunday school teachers taught us this. Maybe John said it best when he said, for God so loved. God so loved the world. Now let's make this personal. Can we make it personal? For God so loved Aaron. Now again, we're, we're able to do church differently right now. And because we're able to do it differently, can I encourage you right now just to write your name in the comment section so that you can make this personal? For God so loved the world. Yes, that's a big, broad statement. But for God so loved Aaron, write your name, whatever it is. For God so loved Tricia. For God so loved Eric. For God so loved Stu. For God so loved, you fill in your name. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not, everybody say did not, I don't care where you're watching from, say did not, did not, help me preach this morning. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You see, John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, he got to see this firsthand. John was able to watch love, who we know as Jesus, live his life out. And it wasn't just words for him. He got to observe this. I think Andy Stanley captured this really well in one of his books. He said, John, John had looked love in the eye. John watched love live. He watched love mistreated. He watched love die. John had the clarity the rest of us can only dream of. He did not confuse the cruelty of life with the love that is God. Life is life, but God is love. Life is harsh. Life will give us things like the coronavirus. Life is going to deal us some things that are just incredibly unfortunate, losing our jobs, losing people we love, having an unstable you know, economy that makes us fear about our retirements, whatever it is, life is harsh. It's cruel, it's unjust, but God, God is love. Make sure you capture this. Do not confuse. Do not confuse the cruelty of life with the love that is God. Let me say it again. Do not confuse the cruelty of life with the love that is God. Several years ago, I was watching a TV evangelist who made a statement to, to this day has haunted me. And the reason it's haunted me is because I know this kind of poisoned theology is something that a lot of people who don't know any better actually listen to and start to believe. And here's what he said. It was years ago. He said, Hurricane Katrina. Hurricane Katrina is God giving to the people of New Orleans what they deserve. Just let that settle. Hurricane Katrina is God giving to the people of New Orleans what they deserve. Now, I don't know how new you are to faith or Christianity, but I hope we all understand and we can all appreciate that we worship a God who doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he gave Jesus what we deserve. You see, Jesus took every ounce of my sin and he took every ounce of your sin and he took every ounce of the sin in this entire world and he put it on his own shoulders and he went to a Roman crucifixion. And then he went into a grave and three days later he defeated death and because he defeated death, 
We don't have to worry about God punishing us. We don't have to worry about God sending viruses to punish us because Jesus took our punishment. And you need to make sure that you understand this. God doesn't punish two people for the same crime. God, God does not punish two people for the same crime. Jesus took your punishment and he took my punishment and he took all the ifs and thens. We no longer have to perform for God. We no longer have to worry about, have I done enough in order to know that God actually loves me, that he's not going to punish me? If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus took your punishment and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Let me switch gears for a second, kind of get off on a detour. Uh, many of you have a lot of spare time on your hands right now. And some of you have decided to pick up reading or you've started reading more than you normally would because you have some extra time. And uh, real quick, for what it's worth, I'll put some suggestions out on our social media feeds this week to let you know some books that I would recommend and kind of what genres they fall in. If you want to come by church, uh, we've got a couple books. Just let us know if you're going to come by. We've got a couple books we'd give to you. We've got several of these. The Treasure Principle gave these out a few weeks ago. And then How Good, How Good is Good Enough. Two great little books we'd be willing to give to you if you want uh, to bring them or if you want to swing by this week, we'll give those to you. Now, the reason I even bring this up is because of this. On Kindle, which is the digitally way to read books, I think you know that, um, there's one statement that is highlighted more than any other statement out of the millions and billions of statements represented in all the books on Kindle. There's one statement that is highlighted more than any other statement. And I believe it's incredibly telling, and it's this. And it comes from the Hunger Games. Sometimes things happen to people, and they are not equipped to deal with them. Guys, I think right now we've been caught in a situation where we're not equipped to deal with what's happening to us. Right now, I feel like we've been caught in a situation where we're not equipped to understand how to navigate through all the decisions that we need to make, all the changes that we need to make. And one of the things that I've learned about humanity that when we're dealt a hand where we're not sure what to do, where we're not sure how to respond, and something's happening, happening to us and we're not equipped to deal with it, what we have a tendency to do is to blame, to blame other people. And it's possible that you could even have the potential during this time, maybe be tempted to blame God. And if you feel like that's what you're gonna do, if you feel like that's something you need to do, here's what I've learned about God. I think he can handle it, but I don't think it will be helpful. You see, blaming is how we avoid changing things. Can I say it again? Blaming is how we avoid changing things. And I believe God wants to use this moment in time, maybe more than any other moment of your life, because I believe right now he's probably got your attention more than he's had your attention in the past. I believe God wants to take this moment of change and I believe he wants to use it to cultivate change within us. And so, so instead of thinking that we're gonna blame God, maybe we should bring God into the middle of our lives more than we ever have right now. And be reminded of what Paul says in Romans 8:28 when he says, and we know that in all things, including the coronavirus, in all things, God works for the good for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Maybe our posture should be, God, we don't want to blame you. We want to bring you into this. God, we don't want to blame you. We want to bring you into this so that you can prune us, refine us, purify us. I think back to the parables that Jesus taught. And one of the parables, and he used this metaphor of pruning something, right? I've got rose bushes at home and every year I'll, I'll prune the rose bushes because it makes them stronger and it makes them more beautiful. 
You see, I believe in this season where we can give God an opportunity to prune us, to make us stronger, to refine us and to purify us and to make us stronger so that when we finally get on the other side of this, you've been hearing us say this from the very beginning, let's not just get through it, let's grow through it. When we get on the other side of this, we're actually gonna be 10 times more effective for the kingdom of God. Not because we need to perform for him, because there's no more ifs and thens. Jesus fulfilled all the ifs and thens, but just so that we can live out our faith in more radical ways, not feeling like we need to hide the most important thing in our life, that we're bold with the gospel and that we let as many people know that the most important thing in our life is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, that's why we're gonna celebrate it next week together. Let me close like this. Church, today is the beginning of something they call Holy Week. And it begins with today being Sunday, Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, one of the things that we see is Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, there have been some churches that have gotten creative with Palm Sunday, and so I saw this marquee, and I thought it was worth showing you, and I'm not going to read it out loud. And if that offends you and uh, you want to email us, you can email me at tyler.shield at tracechurch.com, so feel free to do that. But jump, jump back to this picture. So really quick, this is, a, this is probably more significant than you think it is. You see, in this moment, oftentimes what would happen is that when a king was going to come into a city in a way to conquer it, he would come in on a colt or a stallion. It'd be this kind of sense of like strength. And we know that Jesus is a king, but he's choosing to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the significance behind this is when a king came into a city to surrender, he would come in on a donkey. You see, I think there's something that we can learn from this. I think there's something that we can take away from this, especially as we're approaching Holy Week and as we get closer to Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. You see, maybe we made a choice one point in our life. Maybe you decided that you were gonna make Jesus the leader and Lord of your life and you would still say, yeah, he's my Lord. But maybe right now we're starting to see that he's not been our leader. Maybe right now we're starting to see that there's been some areas of our life that we've closed off to him. There's been some areas of our life that we haven't allowed him to lead and maybe we've been holding on to, we've been trying to lead ourselves. Could this be a moment in time where finally, for the first time, we give Jesus our whole life? Jesus, we are surrendering everything to you. Would you use this moment? Would you refine us? Would you purify us? Would you prune us and make us stronger and more effective for your kingdom so that we don't just get through this, we grow through it? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for being a God who refines us, purifies us. But also thank you for showing us that we don't have to fear you in a way that we, we've got to worry, sit around worrying that if, has, have we done enough? Like, are we in your good graces or did we mess up so much that because we're not fulfilling the if, then, then you're not going to be able to forgive us. God, we don't have to worry about that anymore because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so, Father, would you help us to be incredibly cautious on how we're interpreting this crisis? God, would you help us to be incredibly intentional about not blaming you, but bringing you in the middle of this so that you can cultivate the kind of change that you want to, to cultivate within our lives, to use this moment in time to leverage it for your benefit and to show us things that maybe we've been blind to in the past because, honestly, our lives were just too convenient. Everything was too convenient, and we started to lose sight of you. And so, Father, we're inviting you into the middle of this crisis to use, as you say, all things for good for those who love you and follow you according to your will and purpose. God, we love you. 
Thank you for who you are. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm going to transition us into um, a time that we call response time right now. And um, we've been encouraging you guys to get your own communion elements at home. And so hopefully you have those ready and with you. And uh, we do this every week at Trace. And we want to continue for, to encourage you to do this at home. And so the reason why we celebrate this every week is because it resembles the most important thing in our life. We take a piece of cracker or bread that represents the broken body of Jesus that was given, a, given up for us on the cross, and we take some juice that represents his blood that was spilled out for the forgiveness of our sins. And guys, these elements in the Lord's Supper, which is what this is called, reminds us that we don't live in this if-and-then relationship with God anymore, that Jesus literally took everything on his shoulders and took it to a cross so that we don't have to worry about if we've done enough because he doesn't punish two people for the same crime. And so uh, I'm gonna encourage that you do this before we take it together. Um, I actually wanted to point this out to you. This is a statement from Gandhi. And he said, each night when I go to sleep, I die. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm reborn. Right now, more, maybe more than any other time, I think it's really healthy for us. And I just wanna have a pastoral moment with you really quick. I think it's really healthy for us to just approach one day to the next. In other words, get up in the morning and regardless of all the change that we still see happening and all the things that are still uncertain, we can plan out that day. How, how does faithfulness look like today? And so what we do is we'll plan out a day and say, you know what, I'm gonna call these two people. I'm gonna check in on this person. I got work, I gotta get done. I'm gonna try to be you know, a good husband. Here's something I think Emily needs me to do. Here's something my kids maybe would appreciate if I did. And I plan out that day because I, I believe if we're not intentional with our days right now, I believe they'll get away from us and we'll allow just the, all the crazy information, the, the rapidly changing information to consume us and to steal our focus. And so I just wanna encourage you to maybe just take uh, Gandhi's word for it. Maybe when we go to bed at night, it's like, man, I'm gonna die to everything else going on around me. When I wake up in the morning, it's a new day and I wanna be reborn. So we're gonna do this right now together. We take this cracker that represents the body of Jesus and we take this juice that represents his blood.